This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Rerooted Podcast with Francesca Maxime, trauma-sensitive mindfulness meditation teacher and poet. Together, we'll take a closer look at approaches to transforming trauma with insights from psychology, neuroscience, spirituality, social justice, and the creative arts. Join Francesca and her guests for an exploration of our shared connection and how we can cultivate greater compassion for ourselves and for others. If you'd like to support Francesca and the Rerooted Podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Francesca. Hi, everybody. I'm Francesca Maxime, and welcome to this week's edition of the Rerooted Podcast here on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network. It is May 6, 2021, a full uh, year and, and change since the pandemic here in the United States uh, sort of changed our lives really in in, in so many ways. Uh, it also happens to be my birthday today, the day of this recording. And you'll also notice if you're watching on the video that I have a little band-aid on my chin because I tripped last week and I have a little gash on my chin, uh, but I am healing. And that's what this podcast is really all about is healing and all the different kinds of ways that we can that we can have healing and the different things that go into healing and sometimes the scars that we have left over, but also sometimes what we would call the growth that is uh, consequential to whatever our experiences are. And as I sit here uh, on Uncle land here in Long Island, New York, I am aware of my social location as a cishet, mixed race, uh, Haitian, Dominican, Italian, American woman. And I'm also aware of my social and economic privilege around the ideas of being, you know, Ivy League educated and, and, and engaged in uh, social work and, and somatic psychotherapy and things like that that enable to afford me um, a lot of the privileges that, that I hope to then give back into the world in certain ways, including this podcast. And so, <laughs> as many of you know, uh, I started this work because I myself was suffering and I, I, I have today as our guest, uh, drummer and producer Adam Gust from sunny California in a dark studio right now, uh-huh. who, who is uh, joining us because of his own personal experience with somatic experiencing and because frankly, he was like a fan of the podcast and uh, resonates with a lot of what a lot of the other guests have said. So Adam, welcome. It's so great to have you here on Rerooted today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite, Francesca. So let's just get right into it. Uh, you said that you're, you've 
you have your drum set, your, your seated with your drum set. Tell me a little bit about your, your musical history. Like you started playing drums when you were a kid, you were traveling all around with different kinds of very famous bands and things like that. And then something happened and you found a uh, somatic work. So maybe just start us off at the beginning. Yeah. The beginning would have been in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. I, very cold there. So I learned to play drums because I didn't like being in the snow. I never learned to like skiing or anything like that. All my friends liked it. I hated it. So I kind of found the drums that way. It was something to do. And then I found out I was good at it. And uh, yeah, it became a huge part of my life. And I ended up going to North Texas State to jazz school and a lot of great musicians there and moved to LA in 2000. And uh, had enough friends from college that had moved out to LA before me. So it helped a lot to start working right away. And I was really fortunate for a long time out here. Yeah, it's been great. Beautiful. And so you, as you played professionally, you played with a lot of people that are not like little people. Um, these are big musicians. You've traveled all around the world and stuff like that. Do you want to do a little name dropping or anything just so we have a context? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I guess like names that people would have been familiar with. It's not so much. Uh, I haven't played with that kind of artist. I most have done TV and film work. I mean, I'm kind of, kind of most proud of select tracks I did for years. They do tons of TV and film work and I do a lot of recording. I've worked at Capitol and East West and The Village and just studios all over LA and then of course have my own. But uh, I toured with a band, the Red Elvises, this uh, crazy Russian rockabilly band and we would tour the world. Now, man, that was a great time for a long time. And, uh, but then I decided after seven years with that, it was around 2010, that it was time to do something else and try to plant more roots in L.A. And so, yeah, I ended that at that time, really looking for the next big thing for myself. And my career at that point, it felt like it was on this upward trajectory and I was just anticipating the next big thing. And, uh, and it seemed like it was going to happen. I started working with a cafe uh, band Cafe R&B that I love, great blues band. And then uh, I got offered this international reunion tour with Wang Chung in 2010. And I was looking forward to that. It paid well. It's going to be fun. But uh, yeah, I had an incident on a gig that really changed all that. Yeah. So let's just maybe slow it down as we do in somatic experiencing. And <laughs> notice as we're talking about this, if you're noticing any charge or any kinds of uh, activity or sensations or anything that comes up in the body, even as we're just beginning to touch into maybe, you know, recollecting and kind of coming back to this incident, as you put it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I should take a deep breath, uh, check my heart rate variability, try to get some coherence about it. Because, yeah, it was very, it was a very pivotal moment in my life. And especially, I feel since I did have this expectation, I felt like, you know, I'm leaving this group I'd been in a long time. I have these new opportunities. I really thought it was going to be my year, you know, and yeah. So I was on a gig loading in as I'd always done. And uh, loading in, meaning bringing in your set. Yeah, bringing in the drums. Yep. Uh, it was actually today, uh, 11 years ago, May 6th. And uh, yeah, the, it was five o'clock. We needed to be set up. So it was probably around 4.30, bringing drums in. And on the last trip in, somebody had closed the sliding glass door because, you know, save air conditioning or whatever. And I didn't notice it, didn't even see it. And so I walked through the glass door. 
And it oh, was, uh, yeah, so the glass fell on me and cut me open really bad, blood everywhere. It was, it was gory. And uh, yeah, the friend rushed, the bass player in the band rushed me to the sink and put towels around my arms to keep the skin on my bones. And uh, I went to the emergency room and I think about 26 stitches. And there was a, the doctors were most concerned about a ligament in my left hand that was cut. And if uh, it was holding on by a thread and if that had been fully cut, then drums would have definitely been out of the picture in a professional sense. Wow, you know, and Adam, as you are telling me this story, again, just noticing what's happening in your body, I'm noticing what's yeah. happening in mine. And my stomach is kind of getting a little bit tight and it's kind of my chest. It's feeling like it's rising a little bit. And I'm just sort of in my own mind's eye playing out what that must have been like, because it was the last thing that you expected uh, to have literally before you is the glass. But also at this point in your career and in your life um, was certainly something that uh, was unexpected and not part of the plan, as it often is with trauma too much, too fast, too soon, a sense of lack of agency, a sense of loss of engagement and control. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> I went from feeling like my whole life was just about to happen to being in bed with both my hands and casts for a few months. And the doctor said to not play for a year because it really is detrimental to your technique to as the healing proceeds for a year things change a lot so they don't recommend playing at all and wow i couldn't really do that on a personal level artistic financial you know it, and i even just noticed how much my it affected my social systems which i didn't understand as much until later like i was so focused on my hands i didn't really understand how it made me feel in relation to my peers and my friends and my and my thought now I didn't tell my family I really had a relationship with my dad at the time that I felt would somehow make right everything he had told me and I'm kind of you know processing that now like okay the most pivotal thing that happened in my life I never told I didn't tell my family about it at the time because I just didn't want to have that conversation so I really kind of hit it I tried to kind of hibernate with my hands in the casts and just pr pretend like it was all going to be okay Wow. Wow. And so just, you know, to reiterate that I'm so sorry that that happened to you in the first place, because accidents do happen. And yet at the same time, this is so impactful, quite literally and shocking, but also to your career, to your life, to your identity. And as you're talking through this, it's sort of interesting because from the somatic perspective, there's all this meaning making that we make. It might, it's going to mean this about me. Or I didn't even yeah. realize that my identity was tied up in this, you know, social aspect of it. Or we're noticing, um, you know, just to our listeners to kind of notice like the sense of hiding. Like I, I, I feel safer when uh, I'm feeling like I'm actually not as engaged here with my family because uh, it might it might land or shift the dynamic in a way that I'm not ready for. And all of that's fine. But from a somatic perspective, when working with people, these are the things that we work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, I ended up having a six year span where I was only treating it with physical therapies. I really felt, I do have nerve damage still in my right hand from it. And uh, I actually think that came from a moment three weeks into having my hands in casts that I made a decision that I was really too scared to know what would happen afterwards. And I just made a bad decision and 
decided I was going to have to go to the drugstore and take care of it. And I tried to button my pants and uh, I pulled my stitches in my hand and I had to go to the clinic. And I really think like it's funny because the left hand was the what the doctors were care, care, concerned about this right. tendon. But, you know, that that point of pulling the stitches, I think, is really what left me with the damage in my right hand after all. And I'm kind of coming to, I mean, 11 years later, I'm kind of feeling where these memories live in my nervous system. And right. it's, I mean, yeah, somatic experiencing has been such a big deal for me to realize that after all yeah. this time. And I'm sensing even now, as we're talking, there's some emotion that comes with that and possibly what we would call in the psychotherapeutic world, like, is there shame or blame or self-blame around like, I shouldn't have done that. And then the meaning making around like, can I have self-compassion and can I give myself space and grace for the fact that, yes, that was something that may or may not have been the wisest choice at the time. And now I am also using it as part of my healing journey around what it is that I can lean into to self-discover and to move forward. Yeah, when you mentioned the for the foundation of your podcast about this spiritual transformation that can take place from trauma, I really feel that. Mm. And I, and then, yeah, so it, it hit the six year mark of kind of dealing with, I, I, I saw improvement. I was doing acupuncture. I was training with a coach. Tony Bronigal has been a huge mentor to me through that period of time, but just no one involved really addressed this psychological issue. And I, I, I guess I even went through some blame. Like, why didn't anyone say this to me? Why didn't I? think it myself. I mean, it's so obvious to me now. So I just, I hit a point where I didn't want to, I hit, it was my birthday in 2016. And I just like, I don't want to do this anymore. If I, I'm not going to make it to my next birthday. I just, I hate playing. I hate everything I'm doing. I'm putting up this facade to try to pretend that everything's great. And it's, i I didn't want to do it anymore. So I just left everything that I was doing, all my gigs. I ended up going and visiting my mom and she recommended that I talk to a therapist and that changed everything. Wow. Good for you. And that person that you ended up working with at that time, uh, you mentioned the, you know, the, the spiritual aspect of, of the podcast, but that the therapist actually worked with somatic experiencing or is that a different kind of uh, therapist? No, I got, I came into SE a few years ago. This was 2016, uh, Marge Graham Bowman. I was just oblivious to the psychological impact of what happened. And I had two sessions with her. And on the second session, she was just told me like, okay, Adam, you're, I mean, my arm was cramping up in the middle of all my big gigs. I mean, like I'd be at Capitol Records and I just knew that in that situation, my whole arm was going to tense up. And so I did have these adaptive strategies that I worked on with my coach to shift fulcrum back here so that I could play it all. But I mean, it was really just like trying to get through it in these moments that I dreamed of having, you know, playing House of Blues, touring, what all these gigs that I was would have normally looked forward to now were these huge obstacles, just try to not, you know, mess up, just try to get on base, much less hit the home run. And right. I just I just didn't want to do it anymore. It, it just felt like a fraud. I felt like a poser. Like I was a, I felt like an amateur in this sense, like in, instead of stepping up to the big occasion, now I'm even more, more vulnerable. And wow. so, yeah, when Marge helped me to see that, 
it made a huge difference. She's like, Adam, you haven't talked to anyone in six years after this accident. Your arm is tensing up and you, you, you haven't talked to anyone. And I was like, well, why would I talk about it? I hate talking about it. And I just like this kind of humor came up and she just stared me down. <laughs> and yeah, like, yep. Okay. You're right. It's a psychological issue. Yeah. Yeah. And so then that was the beginning of the healing process at a deeper yeah. level. And yeah, some emotion comes with that as you even just sort of dip into like, wow, that was really the turning point of feeling hopeless to feeling like, okay, you got me. <laughs> yeah, she got me and she was amazing. I ended up getting this cruise ship gig. It was the perfect thing. It was six months and it was a show band. I worked like 10 hours a week. So all I did was read the book she recommended. And I mean, Terry Rial's book was really the, the blue pill for me. I just, you know, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I'm yeah. To male depression. Yeah. He's also one of my mentors. Oh my gosh. Your podcast with him. I mean, even he got emotional <laughs> on your podcast. So I'm like, oh man, I'm doomed, but I'm okay with that. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was really like his, his three pronged strategy to trauma, like the physical, the emotional and the gender role side of it. Like I, those were two of the three that I was just completely ignorant about until then. Wow. And then I just ended up re I mean, of course, Bessel's book. And then I, I just ended up reading a whole, whoever was quoted in those books, I would read their books. I mean, Bell Hooks books were huge for me to just kind of get the bigger picture of what sort of underlying things, you know, that I was ignoring about how I related to my community so yeah well bell hooks is a is a beautiful amazing spiritual and uh you know feminist author theoretician academic and um and writer and um tell me i'm curious to to hear from you when you mentioned the piece around patriarchy from terry uh how you found her work to be supportive in your new understanding of how that structurally influenced you um personally uh my relationship with my dad I found a lot of forgiveness for him because I, I mean, he never hit me, you know, he never was a bad father, but he definitely, there was just something I always remembered was you're just like your mother. And it was never a compliment, you know, as my, I mean, my mom, I'm super close to, she's an amazing person, but it was always this sense like you're like this person who is uh, the weaker gender, according to patriarchy, you know? And I guess I just always felt this imposter syndrome aligning with the weaker. And, and so when she, I mean, uh, it was uh, the will to change and then uh, feminism is for everybody. And I just really felt like, wow, I think I held this connection with the power of women my whole life because I did attach with my mother more. But I felt like throughout my career, I, I sort of had this sense of being lesser and it's it's I, it never occurred to me i never really was able to contextualize it until i really dove into terry's and bell hooks literature and that was just really transformative for me i guess to understand how these just traditional gender roles that could, I, you think in patriarchy it's like raising men up but i think it raises men up until they fall and yeah that's what happened to me yeah, I, I really appreciate your disclosure, your honesty, your capacity to be vulnerable in our conversation even now, and to just really kind of say that, you know, I'm a real human person. 
um, with a whole range of emotions and experiences. And in patriarchy, I am being grown up or raised up in on a ladder that at some point uh, you you either are you know at the top and if not at the top then then you're 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 falling you know you're and that that doesn't have to be that way there can be a way to get off that ladder off that uh, rung of hierarchy and yeah. into a place of of connective healing and and to use Terry's term same as I'm enough and I matter no better or worse than anyone else yeah. Yeah, and I really love the us consciousness stuff, like boundaries for better connection. I mean, and, and that has such a social implication, but even rhythmically, I, when I think about these, you know, the walled liquid and porous boundaries, I think the same as playing with musicians, you know, like when I'm, if somebody has a really strong rhythmic connection with me, that can be the porous boundary. But, you know, if the guitar player is rushing, <laughs> you kind of have to have this rhythmic walled boundary where, okay, you know, there it's important information, but it's not necessarily what I want to allow connect with me. And so I just saw all this connection between therapy and music. And then when I, yeah, I, I there was a podcast that I listened to, Musician Mindset, and it was a somatic uh, experiencing practitioner, Kato Sullivan, and she was talking about somatic experiencing in music. And that struck me really hard and then it turned out later that it was a podcast of a drummer friend of mine dave johnstone and then mm. so i i told him what i was going through and he asked me to be on the podcast and so that was really when i tried to start being more public about it may 6 of 2010 marge told me you know it's at, or 2020 sorry marge told me hey adam it's been 10 years you know I really think I want to encourage you to be public about this. You know, you have stage presence, you are in a position that you can kind of be a voice for this and mm. it would be good for you. And I think it was, she was really encouraging me to be public. So I did a, a trauma, my trauma story video on May 6th of 2020 and just decided, okay, I'm going to take one year and I'm just going to put this video out and whatever, even marginally positive response I get from it. I'm going to contact these people and have uncomfortable conversations and just really kind of get a feel for how the drumming community feels about trauma. Yeah. And, and it was, it was challenging. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah. And again, slowing down, feeling our feet on the floor, our seat in the chair, as we do when we're in a somatic experiencing session, orienting around the room, making sure that we know that we are here in space and time, that although it either kismet wise or ironically is May 6, which not only is your anniversary of the incident, but also my birthday, as I mentioned yeah, earlier, yeah, yeah. And it just so randomly happened that we're, that we're here having a conversation today, um, that we're here and that, we, that we've made it here. That we're here yeah. now and we're dipping into the other things in our history that uh that have brought us to where we are today in all of our manifestations so just taking a breath here and <laughs> allowing our our ventral vagal looking at one another being able to get into our window of tolerance again to just say yeah we're breathing we're here yeah yeah it's been amazing like try, trying to get a grasp of polyvagal and like really attaching these sensations to what dorsal is and what a sympathetic response is and seeing how i always use dorsal to kind of cap 
sympathetic and like, but rather like increasing that range of resiliency to even possibly use these as tools to manipulate how I play has been huge for me. It just to understand how the nervous system works rather than like trying to cap some energy, but just like more to infuse it into how I want to use it as an artist is, oh my God. <laughs> like it's just been incredible to incorporate the tools of SE into my playing. And so, yeah, over the last year, I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations. I made some mistakes. I overstepped my, like what I should have been, um, kind of coming to people with and I've learned from them and I apologize to anyone who might be listening who I did that too but it really man it just one after another it just became more and more apparent like somebody has to talk about this I was hoping there would be a community I was hoping to find somebody to be like oh Adam you need to go and talk to this person this drummer is talking about this and you guys you know whatever and all I got was, Adam, it's great what you're doing and you should you should go do this. And I was, oh, OK, should I? Well, if I just started a group, would you join it? Uh, no, because <laughs> <laughs> they want this anonymity. And it's like, oh, OK, well, that's why there's no group for this is because yeah. you can't have a group if everyone wants to be anonymous. And this is everyone from drummers who have the biggest gigs in the world to people who just started playing. And so I just had I just decided, OK, well, I guess it's me then. So, yeah, that's when I really felt like I need to start a school based on these trauma therapies that I'd been working on. And the more I dive into it, the more it's, well, actually, the less it is about pulling myself out of any kind of depression or trauma or nervous system wound. And it more it becomes about reaching the mountaintop because clearing out my nervous system and becoming aware of how to get rid of these wounds from my accident from when I was 14 at a basketball camp when I was six in first grade just these memories that I learned to find you know and get them out and I just I'm playing the best I ever have now and oh I'm so happy to hear that yeah <laughs> me too <laughs> celebration no really and and really like I and I really want to underscore that because again positive neuroplasticity really letting that sink in, marinate and absorb to kind of talk to Rick Hansen's points about that is that really turning our attention around the idea of like, I'm playing the best I ever have in my life. All of these things have happened, six years old, 14 years old, the incident with the sliding glass door and I'm here and I'm playing the best I ever have. And I have a little humility and little experiences that maybe are, you know, teachable moments for me. And my art, my creativity is flowing in a way because my nervous system is more malleable, is more flexible, is less rigid, is not overly porous, is not overly tight that I can be with my flow of experience to the mindfulness principle, that I am more in alignment with the equanimity, the balance and the flow of experience that I naturally am here to be. Yes, uh, mindfulness has been huge for me. I always, whenever I would have a time alone, I would always be thinking hierarchically before my accident. I would always be, who has this gig? whose gig is bigger than mine, whose is less than uh, money, you know, and prestige. I, it was 
is so shallow, you know, I just, but it's funny, like when the mind is so preoccupied with all this hierarchy of life, it just doesn't pay attention to anything that's underneath. And so I guess really when I started digging into the information of the, you know, sensation, information of the body, I just really started feeling art more deeply and drumming in particular oh my god i mean yeah it's so i can't believe drummers aren't talking about embodiment and somatic experiencing like of all people you know <laughs> well, it's funny i mean and and i want you to play and i also want to show the video that you sent me about the podcast that i did with shelly harrell dr shelly harrell okay. um who's the creator of soulfulness for life who i had interviewed at one point that you found um inspiring uh, as she sure. had referenced a uh, song by James Brown, Super Bad. And I'll show that in a moment. Um, but I guess what I'm, what, two things. I will ask you to play live when you feel appropriately ready during this podcast uh, to whatever moves you or feels you and maybe reflect on uh what's different or what are you noticing as you're playing now um, because you are able to be uh, in a state of awareness around whatever your somatic experience is as you're playing and also maybe uh, dip into some of the spiritual aspects that you just mentioned when you said I used to think of things in a hierarchy like Carol Gilligan says you know in patriarchy we're ranked and in really reality we're linked yeah you know, um, actually, that's not her. That's Gloria Steinem. But same, same principles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same principles. It's interesting. Like I've found for this really big connection between these two books. Like I was looking into growth mindset, uh -huh. and I mean, the more I read it, the more I felt like, wow, this really reminds me of how Terry's talking. It's sort yeah. of this, this fundamental relational side of things in education and therapy that you know, really strip away this hierarchy of us having this label or what we think of ourselves and more digging into this possibility of growth, which is I, what... <laughs> I love that, post-traumatic growth. Let me, let's, tell me about how you found Dr. Uh, Shelley Harrell's podcast and uh, that I had done with her and what inspired you to create the video that we're about to watch. Oh, well, it was you. <laughs> That's how I found out about Shelley. Uh, yeah, it was Peter Levine. I was looking up everything by him because I saw the Ray video and realized that if I had spent five minutes with Peter, he would have diagnosed what my problem was right away. And with, I, I just like to think of that six years, like, oh my gosh, like, I, huh. For anyway. our listeners, I just want to say the Ray video is a video that you can huh. find online about a um, war veteran who uh, Dr. Peter Levine had worked with uh, and who was able to move through a lot of the trauma that he experienced uh, and 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 move into really showing up with his wife and family and things yeah. like that in a different way. So anyway, that's just a reference point for yeah. our listeners, but go on, Adam. Right, right, right. You've, of course, you've seen it. It's amazing. And it was just life-changing for me to think that that can be possible for people who are suffering. And so, yeah, I was looking up everything by Peter Levine. I read his books and I sought him out and I saw him on your podcast and loved it. It was great. And then I just started looking at, I saw the list of people who had been on your podcast and Bessel and Terry. And I was like, oh, okay, this speaks to me. And so I kept watching your podcast. And that's when I saw Shelly's 
episode with you and wow like that is just the deepest anthropological like music history lesson for i don't know i, I just think every musician should see that and and the whole the whole time through the video i felt the kind of timing of the song i felt like you were kind of feeling 120 bpm in the interview the second time I watched it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to do the soundtrack. Are you kidding well, me? <laughs> I, I love that. Okay. So we're going to watch it now, but I want to just, again, underscore, if you listen to Bessel van der Kolk, if you listen to Dr. Bruce Perry, if you listen to Stephen Forges with Polyvagal Theory and um, all the other practitioners and trauma model creators, including Dr. Pat Ogden and, and Diane Poolheller that, you know, integrate things like attachment theory, all of whom have been on the podcast, um, that, that, you really are very much dropping into what is in some ways a natural biological rhythm, heart rhythm, you know, breath rhythm. Uh, and of course, as a drummer, you are the heartbeat of the uh, experience and it's moving through you and with you. And yet our cadence, our prosody, the tone, the pause, the space between the notes or the beats, that, that those are all important. And as Bruce Perry talks about, the 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 you know consistent repeated you know discernible sort of uh predictable patterning is very nice for our brains when it's experiences that are pleasant uh but equally imprinting in our brains when it's unpleasant when it's you know chaotic like our brains take things in so when we we are able to engage in yoga in music in as Stephen Porges talks about the clarinet using his mouth and, and music in that way and the vibrations there that it engages our subdiaphragmatic and our diaphragmatic uh you know parts of our um vagus nerve uh you know so that we are able to be more regulated and that drumming very much does that so I'm going to show the video and then you can oh, talk about it yeah. afterwards but this is the piece that you created and I think it's great. I think one of the powerful things about music is people are communicating individual experience and collective experience that resonates, that touches us. You know, it's beyond words. What, how music can touch us is beyond words. And often these experiences of stress and trauma are beyond words. Yes, yes, yes. So for me, you know, the, the construct of soulfulness is really about connection, you know, fundamentally, and how stress and trauma um, and all forms of stress and trauma, one of the biggest impacts they have is disconnection. Disconnected from ourselves, from our experiencing, we become disconnected from other people. We, 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 we shut down um, some of that capacity we have for connection. And so soulfulness is really um, at its essence about um, kind of reclaiming our connectedness. So we just watched a little bit of um, the recording with Shelly and you're chuckling. You're saying the rhythm is perfect. Tell me what's going on with you as you're watching this creation that you have. Uh, well, I was hearing the song when she was talking about it, and then I was noticing, particularly the second time I listened through the podcast, that both of you had this tempo that was super bad. So, yeah, I, that's when it occurred to me, man, this the song needs to be the soundtrack for this amazing podcast and anything I can do to perhaps like 
help push this forward to more musicians. I think all musicians should see this podcast. It's amazing. And you two have such a great rapport and it's just so watchable and deep. And yeah, so that's why I did the soundtrack, just hoping that maybe some friends of mine that I've felt kind of needed to see it might see it and maybe more people. So. Well, no, I really, I really appreciate it. And, and, and I think that what's interesting about what she's saying is, is there's something about, you know, her, brand for lack of a better word is soulfulness for life and uh you know that this is about increasing our access to our soul and i wonder if after your accident and through the therapy and through the somatic work that you've done and now you're playing in a different way you always were a drummer but now you're playing in a different way do you feel as though you perhaps are more in conversation with or is your soul more available to you yes yes i wish i could go back to myself the moment before my accident and just give a gift to myself. I'm like Janina Fisher talks about having that compassion for the person you were before your trauma. And yeah, I just, I really, I guess I just really thought a lot about that from hearing Shelly talk and like, wow, I wish that I could really explain to myself then how important soulfulness is more so than who has what gig. And, oh gosh, I just, I, I, what, what I realized is that compassion back, like I can feel compassion for that person, but really knowing that that the person I was, what that person would think of me now, that I don't really care at all if I ever do a world tour with a major artist. I don't care if I ever plan a hit record, you know, and so I just and I consider myself more, you know, well, I would I'm using the term non patriarchal. I've been told to uh, be gender neutral in my uh, drum education. I got from powers that be, I get, but I mean, so I've, I mean, I've tried to bring this kind of therapy approach to drumming uh, into my teaching and it's been awkward. It's uh, I've, the only person who, that it's really resonated with, I have to say thanks is Stuart Jean at Musicians Institute. He's had me tell my story and talk about how the therapies I've been working on have affect my drumming. And that's been great. And man, the students I'd connected with that's when I realized like, wow, this is what I have to do. You know, I find that so fascinating. And I, I, we can go back to listening to more of, of Shelley's podcast or the, the, the cut that you made of it. But um, what I find that so interesting because when I talk about systemic oppression or structural oppression, oppression around uh, in particular, one of the main focuses that I've been talking about is anti-black racism or racism in general, but any of the isms, uh, ableism, ageism, you know, sexism, obviously, um, anything that has power and equity centered uh, in a few in the hands of a few with um, everyone else being subjugated to the whim of whatever that uh, extractive kind of system may dole unto you or require or demand of you. Uh, at whatever cost to you. And what I hear you saying is that even in drumming, where we think of, or even in music, where we think of things as being, at least I do as a appreciator and former attempted pianist around uh, jazz and, and things like that, um, that there is that still cooked in structural, like this is the way it has to look. This is the way it has to be. These are the things that you have to do as opposed to what I think of when I think of it, which is more free flowing and improvisational and spontaneous, that the discipline is just the foundation, but that the way that it looks on the outside is not requisite to it being so authentic. And in fact, may, may hamper that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I completely believe that I've rudiments, drum rudiments are still in 2021 believed to be this core fundamental thing that all drummers should learn. And I, man, it has nothing to do with the nervous system. Like I, I really liked uh, Pam Kramer from um, Integral Transformative Practice. She had a, a grace, uh, like grace, bringing grace to any action, like being grounded, relaxed, aware, centered and embodied. And I just, I'm, when I heard that, I just, I felt like, wow, those sound like drum exercises. Those are like warm ups, you know, to be grounded on the drums and then relaxation, which is one of the hardest things. And like the whole connection with memory, like, I don't even know how to teach relaxation without talking about memory anymore. And I just, and I don't see it in drum education at all and awareness, you know, proprioception, interoception, exteroception, how those all relate to drumming. I mean, proprioception is what we do as drummers, <laughs> you know, and it's like to not explore that is, just, I think it's really being, doing a disservice to students. And so I've, I, I can't not see it. And so when I teach, so when I want to teach now, there is a, I feel a little bit of an impediment with certain structures. And so I've, I've been applying these things to myself here uh, with just incredible success for myself. And I feel like I just, I need some help <laughs> yeah. from the therapy community. Cause I mean, in drum education, I, I mean, to tell people not to teach rudiments, I mean, I'm going to get lambasted, you know? Well, and, it's, it's funny as you're talking, the words that come for me are decolonizing drumming. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I am noticing this more and more, the kind of trying to bring this into education systems that exist is going to, it's just too challenging. I'm trying, that's why I've tried to think, okay, what are some educational tools that align with therapy? Like, that's why I thought growth mindset. Okay. We can, I can kind of fuse it with that. Well, you know what I think is so ironic and it's a lot of the big critiques that I have of Western psychotherapeutic models and trauma models is that all of these are really more indigenous, more shamanic, more, you know, close to the ground, uh, organic, um, vibrations uh, from the get-go, but because we've had so many structural, constrictive, systemic, uh, at the personal level in families, the way that we've, you know, in the Western world said a family needs to be, it's not about a village, it's about a nuclear family in your own little individual house, or, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have one, as opposed to this collective support, that there's a cost to that. But that in these other communities and these other that that you're drumming and you're dancing and you're literally closer to the ground in you know certain Asian cultures you're not you're not on a high bed you're on a low tatami mat you're 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 closer to the earth and you have a different way of connecting to to one another and to the natural rhythms that are available to you and so I just feel like all of what you're talking about ironically especially with the drumming is pointing right back to source, right back to the original, and that you're sort of traveling through the the structural ways in which drumming, although creative, has, has become rigid, and you're trying to bring it back to a place that integrates the Western perspective, but really brings it back to where it came from. Thank you. That's what I'm doing. I, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, even just grounding, like that basic principle, you know, imagining roots coming out of the bottom of your feet that root to going to the center of the earth, that really struck me like, wow, I'm always, 
up on my left foot. I kind of like on the hi-hat, I would always kind of lift the heel. So I started putting a camera down there and noticing in logic that my beat placement was ahead of the beat when my left foot would come up. And so when I go to open hi-hats, I've been noticing, oh, okay, my tempo like shifts a little bit. And so I've been really practicing to break these patterns, these tension and movement patterns and ground the feet. And I see it. I see it on the timeline that I'm so much more centered. And when I hook up, this, you know, I have this heart math thing. I've been trying to get coherence right. while I'm playing and I align that information with logic with three cameras so I can see tension in my shoulders and my feet and I can see facial cues. And so I'm trying to put all this information together and I just seeing more and more how related it is. And yeah. now when, and now when I see my favorite drummers, I'm kind of noticing, wow, how are they breathing? Like what's happening in their nervous system? Like I wonder, I'm trying to think about, and then I see impact things that are going to cause drummers problems in 10 years who are my favorite drummers. And I just like, wow, I, like yeah, in somatic right? experiencing language, we would say there's hypervigilance, there's an override. And so we can only do that for so long, right? Like that that thing your heel was doing is like the hypervigilance, like it's anticipating. So we would that would be anxiety, right? That we're always like scanning ahead, looking for threat, trying to anticipate so that we can pre-fill or pre-know the next thing. And all of that is counter to mindfulness, which is just being in the moment and actually feeling it organically from the bottom up. And then this idea of, you know, what does it mean to actually allow yourself to trust that you will know the beat, you will find the beat you will be there, right? And if your foot was a little bit delayed, it might be more the dorsal vagal engagement around like, oh, it's a little afraid to engage. It's a little afraid to hit the beat. It's a little bit lagging. It doesn't quite know if it should or, you know, and that there's that piece. And neither one is right or wrong, but the more that we understand where the origins are, we can kind of come back into that tree rootedness that you talked about a minute ago. Yeah, I've been a member of the SE community now for a while. I've kind of masquerading as a therapist in that community and taking the classes that are all the ones that are less than 30 bucks <laughs> yeah. but uh but uh, i'm just reading and kind of applying these things and it's just it's made all the difference for well, me let's um, listen to the difference it's made you want to play something for us uh you know it's early i am a little self-conscious i would love to talk about some of these exercises okay, that i've sure. applied Go ahead. So definitely like reducing reducing tension to the point where you can start deciphering, is that tension something that's serving me or is it something that possibly is linked to a memory? And so I remember there was this tension in my shoulders that I couldn't figure out. And I would, I would notice, I, you know, in the side cam, I'd always kind of like do the slight lean forward and that would affect the time. And so... I was trying to figure out how can I keep from doing that? And so it's, it's this little posture brace that I got. I was like, this couldn't possibly do the trick, but <laughs> if there are any drummers watching, like just to do this and restrict the movement and hold this in play and like try to hit this crash and not drop this shoulder. And so I just, I think it also has, it kind of gives a centering to, uh -huh. yeah, to playing. And then when I link that with being grounded and relaxed, I started noticing, wow, I, this tension that was in my back started triggering this memory of basketball camp and when I was 14. And uh -huh. I ended up dreaming about it. And then people who weren't there were in my dream. And I started journaling a lot about it. And I started just realizing that there was this 
tension that was linked to this memory. And then actually this was a, this is a cone for my dog. <laughs> and uh, I ended up putting this around my neck so that I wouldn't lean forward. And so then I like sat up really straight and that started triggering these memories of when I was younger. And so I was just, I was like, wow, I have all this garbage in my nervous system. And then the Bet Betsy Politan's book is really like the blueprint for what I'm working on. She's applying somatic therapy to musical theater at Boston University. And she and Peter are working together. And man, that's just, that's been amazing to do that work. And I don't see any other drummers doing it. Dave Elich is applying Alexander technique of embodiment for drumming and has mm -hmm. a lot of success with it. But I think he's, I've mad respects for the guy. I love what he's doing, but I think where I fit into that is a little bit flushing out the nervous system a little bit more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, but uh, yeah, and so just like finding ranges of motion that are equal and opposite and uh, pendulating between difficult passages on the drums and the even ones and noticing that how that affects my rhythmic regulation and how that my internal sort of kind of felt sense is affecting my rhythmic regulation, my own internal emotional regulation, and just seeing how connected they all are. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just feel like now I, I really found a way to remove all tension because I have this nerve damage in my right hand and I would have this point where my whole arm would tense up. And so I almost had to overcompensate by having no tension. And in doing that, I've just developed more ways to play that like if I stopped at any point in this drum technique, this is Gruber. It's kind of I use a combination of like internal rotary, German, French, outward rotary and Spivak. And this is Gruber and Stone Stroke and just a lot of varieties. But this one in particular, Gruber is between is with these. This is the fulcrum. Mm -hmm. And I mean, man, it's just you're barely holding the stick this way and you can get a lot of power. And it's been amazing to be able to find that because this this fulcrum was always a huge tension problem for me. It's funny as I'm, I'm using my little magic stick here to, to kind of mimic <laughs> what you're doing, right? Because this is about the waves of activation take about 90 seconds to rise and fall within our nervous system. And so anytime we feel as though we might actually be uh, really afraid to cry, if we just give it the length of time that it takes here or that if we feel like we're angry and we actually feel through that deactivation that'll come and go but that as you're doing this again it sort of says to us and speaks to us not too tight and not too loose which is a core mindfulness principle around we're not wanting to be a fist and we're not just wanting to be limp but we're wanting to be relaxed and alert engaged and available and yet not not too here or too there <laughs> and so this is your loose but centered yep hey you've got a great gruber technique <laughs> i don't know about that I, try to, I would try to gruber and gruber in life adam you know is there any final thoughts about uh, how people can find you and what they can learn um about where you are because we're going to wind down the the recording yeah, I, my YouTube page, if you search Adam Gust on YouTube, there's a lot of videos of befriending your practice is uh, how I'm applying SE to drumming. Uh, I've, I'm very interested in the certification program. I don't know if that's something that would ultimately apply to me or not. All I know is I took the Somatics Basics course and it outlined the certification and that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And so, however, I can bring that more into what I'm doing and kind of expose it to other drummers. I've 
I, that's about the coolest thing I can imagine doing with the rest of my life. So, well, uh, yeah, that's what I'm up to. <laughs> Adam, I so appreciate everything that you've offered. Really a tender uh, and vulnerable look at at your own journey and really honest disclosure about sharing the resistance that you've bumped into when you've tried to have other people perhaps uh you know, when they weren't quite ready, but you were inviting them into the space to talk about some of their own traumas and their own experiences and how we respect where people are at. And we also celebrate our own trajectory and everyone is invited to come along if they so choose. So thank you for coming along on this podcast of Rerooted Adam Gust, drummer, producer, and teacher, to be perfectly honest, um, and an experiencer of life. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of you and your podcast. Best wishes to you. Thank you, Adam. Take good care, and we'll see you next time. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.